0: Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Now, I love all my children equally, and by children I mean episodes of this show, but I've got to be honest, I love today's show a little more equally than most. First, we've got one of the preeminent M&A bankers in the world with us, Rob Kindler, global head of M&A and vice chairman at Morgan Stanley. And he alone makes for a fantastic episode, but Rob happens to have a brother who is pretty established in his own right, comedian Andy Kindler. Uh, Here's where I'm going to act like a hacky comedy club MC. You may remember him from Everybody Loves Raymond for years. He's been a judge on Last Comic Standing. (laughs) And each year, everyone should listen to his keynote speech at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. And they both join us for this week's episode. So, Rob and Andy, welcome to Deal of the Week.
1: Thank you. I like that you said you may remember. So we don't want to make people who have no idea who I am feel bad right
0: that, that was that was the point of my wording there um, glad
1: Well, you thank you that. for having me on the show and 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 thank you for finally reuniting me with my brother after all
0: right that's years. right i should have mentioned that right you guys haven't spoken for it's 35 a
1: years it's yeah. a we haven't
2: but i think he owes me money that's for sure
1: <laughs> so he gets right to the heart he gets right to the
2: heart of it that's right that's the exactly. yin yang yes I,
1: I have i entertain millions and he has millions
0: uh, so look that's that's basically the topic of the show or at least in the beginning. I thought it would be interesting to have both you guys on to figure out what your parents did that caused this. How do you end up with one son who's a top M&A banker and one is a stand-up comic? Who how did this who are your parents? What type of upbringing did you guys come from?
1: No, take it away, Andy. Well, I, uh, Larry and Joan are our parents, and my older sister is Janet. I was the youngest, and I was always protected. I'm still; they still. I still. When I drive in a car, I drive on my sister's lap. But uh, that's not really a joke. But the point is, obviously. is that obviously not. The reason why we we are who we are is our parents never. Uh, told us what we could be or not be because they were very self-involved. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what? In do your fact, par- I don't
2: even know what we do now. What do your parents do for
0: what
1: did they do? Well why don't here? you... What, you know, you're know? you good with the nuts and bolts. Lay it, out,
2: lay it, lay it down. Well, well, our dad was uh, born and raised in Jackson Heights, actually on the same street as, uh, as Don Rickles. And several years ago, my... I knew Don Rickles really well. Several years ago, my brother was doing a show with Don Rickles and said... Hey, do you, remember, do you remember my father Larry from the street in Jackson Heights? And Don Rickles said, oh, yeah, yeah, Larry. He was the one with the blue sweater. So I always had no idea who my father and was. And then, but the and of course, my brother will always mess up only my
1: anecdotes, because uh, two weeks later I saw him a second time, and I said, I saw you two weeks ago because I did a shoot with him. And I said, my the father Larry Kindler, he grew up with you and Jack Snyder. He goes, uh, yeah, tell him we'll have lunch. So, <laughs> and then two weeks later, he sent uh, me and my dad headshots. Uh, dear uh, Andy, don't call me, and dear Larry, have a ball. Right,
2: and I think we gave that to. I think he gave that to Dad for his. And a, Dad
1: a loved it. Time. That's the thing about my, my father, who who has passed away. I don't want to bring everybody down, but I do talk about it in my act. I say he passed away last year, and then I say too soon. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs>
2: oh geez. I, I was just in Jackson Heights, passing by his street. I I had gone to pick out his headstone uh, with my sister, and I, it was the most. It was absolutely. We went to the monument place, granite monument. The nastiest people in the world. So my sister said, you know, when is the tombstone going to be ready? And the guy says, hey, don't even ask that. It's not going to be ready maybe five months, maybe six months. I mean, don't give me grief about this. And I said, you know, he's still going to be dead. It's not really a problem. They didn't know how to deal with that. Uh, No, you would think they they would know. I I swear it's the same company
1: who right after my dad died sent a a, a card to the house and that said, and I'm not making this up, it's like, we here at the Headstone Company, we would never take this uh, difficult time to try and sell you something, but you might want to think ahead because we're running out of headstones.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so what, did you, your, your, what was your dad's profession? Okay, so
2: my, my dad, our dad, was a plumber. He actually was brought up in Jackson Heights. He went to Indiana. He did a bunch of different things. But he, he ended up going to his own father's plumbing business, S. Kindler plumbing. And uh, my mom, our mom was brought up in Mamaroneck. And uh, they, they met in college. And uh, so dad was a, was a plumber. But they both were very, very funny. I mean, just to give an example, you know, a few weeks ago, I had gone to a funeral of someone who had you know, died of Alzheimer's, you know, an older person. And I called up my mother. I said, you know, Mom, you're so lucky you don't have Alzheimer's or dementia. And my mother said, who is this?
0: <laughs> uh, yes, right. The joke well, was she actually did have Alzheimer's, no. Um, <laughs>
2: Oh, did I mention <laughs> that I called my mother a
1: couple of weeks ago? Well, right. you know, the thing is, is that they're both very funny. My mom, I've used my mom's act almost, ex- my, my mom's words almost exclusively in my act when she wasn't necessarily trying to be funny. But when she first came to California, and she's like, "Adzie, I want to visit Sausalito. Uh, Sausalito, a small fishing village north of the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County. And there's an actual story about my mom sitting in a restaurant in Sausalito, and she says to me, Andy, you live in California. How are the fajitas? <laughs> and then my dad was just purposely hilarious all the time, really, really. And I think our whole family is, is very funny.
0: So, Rob, uh, let me get back to, to you with, your, with M&A since mm-hmm. this is an M&A podcast. What made you want to be an M&A lawyer from this background and then subsequently a banker.
2: Well, I think you know Andy will remember when we were kids and we were kind of in the backyard playing catch and we were kind of talking about what did we wanted to do when we when we got older and I don't know if you remember this, Andy, um, but I said I always wanted to be global head of M&A at Morgan Stanley. (laughs) And And I said I wanted to be Willie Mays, and you said, what's the chances of you being Willie Mays? So, look, everything is kind of fortuitous. Um, You know, we all were, uh, you know, our father was a great piano player, and we all were musicians when we were younger. So, actually, we all went down the path, and we all thought we were going to be musicians. So, kind of entertaining and performing was natural. You know, Andy played uh, violin and he played. Um, what else did you play? There, guitar. I
1: started guitar as soon as I could get off of, of uh, the violin. I uh, got into guitar and wrote songs. And, and you played the flute,
2: right? I played the flute. I thought, brilliant well,
1: fruit, flute player. I can attest that my brother is an amazing flute player and also a world class
2: athlete in the hundred yard dash. That is true. That is absolutely true. But I'm very proud. There is a lot, a lot of uh, leaders of M that are flute players. It's incredible. Is it flautist or flutist? Uh, take that away, Andy. Uh,
1: well, I I think the most successful uh, law firm was Jethro Tull, and uh, I don't know. That's, <laughs> I'm sorry, I was I didn't prepare any material. Obviously. Uh, yeah. oh, oh, you toss you toss a non joke over to me, and you expect I spend weeks working on <laughs> my
2: material. But I was I thought I was going to be a a musician. I got into music and art high school. That's what I was going to do, and and uh, you know, I, I obviously didn't go down that path. Uh, uh, Andy, when he got out of college, uh, and by the way, he was always a much better student than I was—better student in high school, better student in college.
1: Is that really true, though, or is that no, a no, totally bowl? true, totally true? See, because I think my brother is the is a genius. I think my brother is a genius. And so I think he's uh, like a genius level uh, uh, with the uh, with, with with the brain. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to confuse the layman, but in the brain area, <laughs> he's very good. Uh, and so he could do, and, and he always claimed he never studied, and maybe he never did study, but he somehow always uh, landed at the top of everything he did. Is that true, Rob, or not true?
2: Um, it's it's somewhat
1: true. It's somewhat yeah. true. And I had so to work way. hard. Well, I didn't work that hard because it was the '70s. Uh, but I was an English
2: lit major, and I was good at writing papers.
1: So, what
0: you know. attracted you to to becoming a, a lawyer, though? Eventually? Oh, so
2: it was it was basically one of these things where you know I went to to college, and I did end up playing in the orchestra and the the band, and I took up some other instruments like bassoon and others, and and I also majored in romantic poetry. So, being a romantic poetry and music major and playing the flute and bassoon was. It's a perfectly logical segue.
0: Yeah, this sounds like some sort of Mad Libs. Yeah. (laughs) yes, Random terms and then
1: lawyer. Uh, Alex, I must interject with this joke that I wrote myself. And the joke is, the guy who invented Mad Libs is laughing all the way to the shoe. Uh, th- yeah that joke really plays well
0: now with like the 15 year olds right they're all doing yeah. mad libs <laughs> i don't have a
1: reference that anyone under 30
2: can understand right
0: well it's a look you and me both I guess. my
2: bicentennial material
0: nothing it's, it's, yeah so y2k sorry,
2: so i went to that we're talking about me Andy. okay sorry okay so we went to uh i went to law school for the reasons a lot of people went to law school back then uh you just i kind of didn't know what i wanted to do you know way, way back when well, and now but, well, pretty much. But way back when, when I graduated, kind of, I graduated 40 years ago, kind of the hierarchy was if you were a genius, you went to medical school. If you were a marginal, you know, pretty smart, but not quite, you went to dental school. If you're kind of average intelligence, you go to law school. <laughs> and if you're a blithering idiot dope, you went and got an MBA. Look how that's worked out financially. That's right, exactly. It's it's, it's
0: just the reverse. So look, what you switched, uh, you know, after six years or so, were you at Cravath?
2: No, I was here twenty years. Twenty years, sorry, yeah. twenty yeah. years.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's a full career as a lawyer. Yeah. What did you switch to banking because you'd had it with law because there's more money in banking? What was the deciding factor? Well,
2: you know, I I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a concert promoter. Uh, back when I was making the switch, and I was going through all the reasons about wanting to have a different challenge, and I'd done this for twenty years, and I wanted to get, you know, exposed to something different. It's good to make changes and all of that. And my friend, the concert promoter, said, uh, "You know, Rob, we have a saying in the music business: it's not the money, it's the money." So yeah, that was uh, I had a lot to do with it. Sure, I was I was out there, and I saw as, a, as an M lawyer that they were bankers making a lot more money um it uh, i thought i had kind of the skill set to do it uh, so i went for it but that was that was 16 years ago
0: all right so with that backdrop andy how did you decide that you wanted to become a stand up comic and uh you know using your older brother as an example there was his path ever a draw to you or did you know from the beginning you wanted to do something i else?
1: the anything that i would be attracted like i was i did think at certain points in my life that i would like to be a lawyer and in fact after college um, when I came out to LA and it didn't work out that you went to like a, the student union and you, and you found out in the bulletin board what play you were in. When I got like plunged into regular life, I, uh, I ha- actually def- uh, defended m- my ex-girlfriend in, to get her unemployment compensation. And, it, and I did such a good job. At one point, the guy cut me off. I said, I I know. I'm leading the witness. <laughs> and uh, so he said, you actually are good at this. Well, actually, what I was good at is I'm good at, like, talking to people, and I enjoyed. So if I could go just to the Perry Mason, as the kids know, Perry Mason, if I could go right to the courtroom, that would have been attractive to me. But this is a, i just realizing from Rob's story though, there was a, there's a lot of similarities between both of us because I think the thing that did drive – because Rob would say it's money, but I think it's also – he did not want to be a partner in a firm. And it wasn't as interesting as it maybe could look going in. And I think he kind of ended up doing what I'm doing in terms of making his own path. I mean, for me, I wanted to be a mu- uh, like a musician, like a rock musician from the was time I was a little kid. I wanted to be like the Beatles and I wanted to be a, a rock star. And then when I got in college, I was in bands and I was totally convinced I was going to be a professional musician. I never could think of, I didn't want to go to law school, I didn't want to have a regular job, and I just happened to stumble after failing at music for so many years. I just happened to stumble into stand up comedy. But even as a stand up comic, you know, I've never gotten into writing for sitcoms. I never did anything where I have to work with other people in any kind of office setting. And so that's where I think there is some like similarities, but I really was just driven by the fact that I've always wanted to entertain people. I mean, that sounds corny. And uh, everybody in our family is funny, but it's uh, I, like, you know, anytime anybody asks me for advice, I always say, like, sometimes people don't know that the thing that comes to them easiest, or you sometimes ignore it. So the fact that everybody was funny in my family, I thought everybody in the world was funny. And then you clearly find out uh, by the popularity of Jimmy Fallon that not everybody. <laughs> There you go. Has a sense of humor. I'll
0: I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a little (laughs) bit. But I'm curious, Andy, did you sort of make it right away as a comic, or did you have to struggle for a while as sort of the common plight of a stand up comic is?
1: Well, I had to struggle in the sense that I graduated from college, which was a magical wonderland, upstate New York. I came to L.A. I was in all these bands, and for years I had terrible day jobs. Like I sold door-to-door for two years. I sold time-life books on the phone. I uh, I worked as a bartender. So I did all of these day jobs, uh, and I and I got burnt out on music. When I started in comedy, which was in 1984, a friend of mine, I used to work in a stereo store, and a friend of mine at a picnic, he he said, hey, you're funny. You ever think of doing it? I said, no, I never did. So I actually started with him, and I was with him for a couple of years, and I went on my own. And I wouldn't say it was instant, but unlike music, it just took its own path. So I started in 87. For, for the next five years, I was on the road for five years, and things came naturally. So I feel very blessed in that way, that it did seem to like – I struggled, but I started at a great time and it felt like things have was, was always moving forward with Rob's financial support.
0: <laughs> right. That's what I was sort of <laughs> getting at. Look I, to, but seriously, on those lines, I'm you're very open both on Twitter and and generally in your stand-up act about you know being fairly progressive and liberal and I'm curious that that doesn't really mesh per se with uh, with Wall Street. You know, candidly, what do you think about the industry and what your brother does?
1: Well, you know, there's there's a couple of aspects of that. First of all, my brother and I – my brother is – I don't know how he would term his politics, but I think he's a progressive as a person. I don't – you know, my brother doesn't run around going, oh, look at that gay guy over there or, you know, like agonizing about uh, why, uh, you know, gay people marry or anything socially. So – um, and then I actually feel like I don't like to be known as a person who's – I'm like, for example, I'm for TPP. So I'm a progressive. I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. I think the TPP thing to me seems like all politics. So I think there's a lot of areas that my brother and I uh, agree about, and uh, but I think there's a lot of areas that maybe we don't agree about. But the biggest problem between us is that he's my older brother, and he's been torturing me since I was a little kid. So there's a family dynamic that goes beyond – what the politics are. And the way I've looked at it is I think he deserves like, you know, to me, it's like, I see a lot of these CEOs and they seem to be like a, like a, a club where they get in. I don't feel, maybe I'm naive. but I don't feel that way about Rob. I feel like there's very few people who can do what Rob does. So as long as I get a healthy percentage of, what's right. coming in, the- no, but I really don't begrudge I really am proud of what he does. And in fact, there's a comic named John Mullaney and his father, I don't know. Is he, is he MNA Rob? I think, he, uh, I think he is, yeah. Yeah, so we're both two comics who both have uh, his father, but I guess I realize he's his father and you're my brother. I don't know what I'm saying, really. But I've always been very proud of what Rob, Rob's done, and yet I've also been very angry at certain things that have gone on in the country.
0: I'll have to get Mulaney's dad and Mulaney on the show next to have a, a juxtaposition. Don't
1: there. cut us short just to make that call. R- right,
0: right, exactly. <laughs> well, maybe he'll have some material for people under 30, for our, for, for our listenership that's under 30, um, who's listening to an M&A podcast on Bloomberg. Uh, so, look, a couple questions about actually M&A for you, Rob, though. Uh, you, you've been on, for people that don't know, Rob has uh, been on some of the biggest deals of the past, let's say, 10 to 15 years, uh, I mean, you sold Nextel to Sprint, uh, you represented Comcast when they bought AT&T Broadband for $72 billion, and then advised Time Warner Cable when first Comcast and then Charter bought Time Warner Cable, you advised Valiant when it was trying to buy Allergan, uh, you repped Grupo Modelo when it was sold to Anheuser-Busch, a lot of other ones. Of all of these deals, what stands out to you as your very favorite deal to work on? And you can interpret that in however way you want.
2: Well, I actually would go back uh, even beyond that for the years I was a lawyer, because I was an M&A lawyer, too. And I think the thing that I found was most satisfying, gratifying, whatever the words are, was back in the 80s, and the late 80s, I defended Cummins Engine Company. It was then called Cummins Engine Company in Columbus, Indiana, against uh, two activist, very hostile activist players. And activism's been around for you know a long time. It's just a little bit different form now. And we were able to fight off uh, the activists. And I remember going to the annual meeting and going, you know, which was at the high school in Columbus, Indiana. And people there were retirees. There were, you know, bake sales. And, and it just made me realize the importance of uh, of never forgetting that this is real life and real people. You know, these a lot of people get into the game of M&A not really recognizing that real human beings are involved. And the fact that we were able to keep Cummins independent, and of course, it's thrived. I mean, it's, it's, it's a super successful success story because they planned for the long term, but it also was very, very important to Columbus, Indiana. So I put that way up there.
0: So that's, that, that's interesting because sort of your, your mandate potentially is can be a little different as a lawyer and a banker. Sometimes it's aligned. Do you feel like there is a tension in the industry where bankers get paid if deals happen? Not not necessarily, or they get paid less if deals do not happen. So, is there attention that's promoting action, even if it isn't necessarily in the best?
2: Clawback. Where where's the claw? Where's the clawback. <laughs> Hello, Miss Warren. The <laughs> um, the, the, oh, uh, Miss Warren. I guess got that joke. Yeah, yeah. It takes a while. Elizabeth. Well, I kind of I kind of roll this clock forward just to the last year. I defended Norfolk Southern. Against a hostile bid, Canadian Pacific again a terrific company, real people involved, real people working really, really hard to build, uh, you know, a great railroad, uh, very driven, and I, I do think there is something of attention that people have, and maybe as I get older, it's easier for me than someone who's in their forties. And if the deal happens, it's you know, but but the fact is, no, I I, I would probably put Norfolk Southern up there as well as as. Uh, I like to see things happen that are, you know, kind of the right answers, you know, for people. And I am. But look, I, but companies do get taken over all the time, et cetera. But I, I think a lot of M&A people don't really realize that this is not a game. So, Andy, in a nod to equal
0: time here, actually, I don't care about that. I'm just curious. Who is your favorite working comedian right now?
1: Well, well there's two things I want to say. Uh, I'm in a studio here in Los Angeles, and uh, it's a great studio, except there's construction going on. I don't know if you hear the construction, but— uh... I just wanted to let you both know it's that it's not I, just your
0: heavy breathing.
1: I'm like not having, banging right. on anything. Banging. That's all I want you to know. Uh, well, you know, it's a, it, my favorite comedian, and I I love him so much. His name is James Adomian, and uh, I don't know. I mean. Of all time comedians, I love Hedberg, and I love Bill Hicks, and I love uh, a lot of, you know, and, and Letterman. and But like of current comedians right now, uh, I love James Adomian, and people might know him. He was Bernie Sanders in uh, these months and months of debates that were Bernie Sanders and Trump, and the guy who played Trump was amazing. And He the also reason,
0: does a great Jesse Ventura.
1: He does an amazing Jesse Ventura. He does people like, uh, yeah, I'll be right there. He does people like (laughs) – you have to hear that, right? Yes. (laughs) No, that's okay. You're just a a, a, a pile driving into the studio. All right, if Sawdust falls, I'll stop. But uh, he does like Tom Likas. He does even – and the other thing is he actually – maybe this is very selfish. uh, James Adomian does me. There he goes. uh, But he's absolutely brilliant. I've never seen somebody – it's like impressionists can be brilliant and they are brilliant. But he's able to go in and out of these characters – while also keeping a consistent through line of himself and also what's exciting about being so old in comedy i think it's one of the few fields in entertainment where being old doesn't mean they physically come to your house and tell you to stop but uh i've seen him develop so when you see someone over like 10 years ago from just doing these um like he started doing george w bush during george w bush and now to where he's evolved it's pretty exciting
0: this is where i'll ask my own ego question here rob i'm curious what you think about M and A reporters in general? I mean, we have a job to do, and my my day job here is to break news on live deals. And sometimes I realize this can put people in difficult positions. I'm curious, sort of, what do you feel like the the role of an an M and A reporter is? Are we sort of gnats to you, or do you sort of understand that we have a job to do, et cetera? Well, I've
2: <laughs> yeah, no, look, I, I've always. Um... I've always felt that in the M&A world, it's actually not a lot different than the political world. Um, a lot of these deals, there really is a story that needs to be told and should be told. And I think it's, uh, it's very often a critical part of all of it as to getting the story out. You know, there's deals in the in the press that have uh, regulatory issues, other issues, and you know, you absolutely need the press uh, to inform. So no, I, I don't view it that way.
0: Uh, and yeah, I hope I hope that we're putting real context to some of these and providing a service and and what we do. 2015, obviously, was a blowout year for M&A. This year, not as blowout, which I think most people predicted. I'm curious, as you look at your own pipeline, are you expecting us to have a few more mega, let's say $15 billion in up deals this year? Uh, Or as you sort of look and generally speaking, maybe we need to wait for 2017?
2: Well, I don't expect a lot more big deals this year i mean we, we've had a flurry in the last couple of weeks we have you know we advised including uh, the biggest yeah and we we've you can't
1: uh, can you talk yeah. about it is it public knowledge
2: it is this one's <laughs> public knowledge right we, we, we've uh monsanto's been a longtime client and so we uh, did that deal with Bayer. uh in the u.s is called bear it's like bear aspirin but you actually oh. call it Bayer. Buyer. Oh, is that
1: the, how it's originally pronounced? Buyer,
2: yeah. correct.
0: Even though their CEO pronounces it "bear" for the stupid American audience. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> well, we did that deal. We just advised uh, both sides in this agrim potash deal, and yeah, you know, So there's a lot going on, but I, but the fact is that last year in 2015, the volumes were unnaturally high, driven by huge deals like Sab Miller, etc., EMC, which we just closed last last week. Um, so I think this is kind of more of a normalized year, and I and you know there's enough activity going on.
0: As you look to next year, there is a big political event happening in November. If Donald Trump is elected president, how do you see that affecting the M and A market?
2: Well, you know a couple of things. Be, you know, before that event, there's a huge event on October 16th when my baby brother turns 60. And, yeah, thanks uh, for
1: keeping that under wraps right. in the show
2: business field. Right. And the concept <laughs> that my baby brother—I know
1: I can't believe—is
2: going to be sixty is just—it's uh, unbelievable. And
1: what better birthday present <laughs> than there could be <laughs> than for Donald J. Trump?
2: <laughs> he says uh, he's not going
1: to send me a birthday present until he can figure out what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: yeah, I'd say this—that the—that the, uh, the markets—I can speak to that. Are assuming he does not win. I think that the the markets generally are really not handicapping that because I I think the general view, and this is not a political view, this is just a view from the street, is that it's he's very unpredictable. Um, you know, with Hillary again, whatever your politics are, you know, you know that Hillary was a senator from New York. She understands Wall Street. Uh, she was very strongly supported in New York by a lot of Republican businessmen in New York. So I think. The view is we know exactly what you get with Hillary, right. and you just don't really know. And so I, I believe the markets now are assuming that Hillary wins. If, if she doesn't, then I think there's going to be a lot of disruption, and then we'll see how it ultimately shakes out.
0: All right, Andy, now it's your turn. Tell me how the world changes if Donald Trump is elected president.
2: Well, the
1: good thing is we can declare bankruptcy as a country. Right? <laughs> and didn't he want at one time say that he we could renegotiate the, the price of the uh, T-bills? I don't know these words. But no, it'll be a complete disaster if Donald he Donald Trump went.
0: knows. He uses good words. His uh, words are the best words. His words
1: are the best words. I think – I can't even look think past it. I think it'll be a, a total disaster. I, I'm actually starting to use his words. It'll be a disaster. It'll be a total disaster. I can't believe that it's gonna happen and um, I just I just will not won't accept but that but the only and this is actually true. I do work up in Canada a lot and people have uh, reached out and said that I can come up there, which I will do. Yeah, I'll uh, move there. I will move there unless Rob can get me a survivalist pay for a survivalist situation. <laughs> It's well, never right. been anything. Alex has never been anything. This is why it's so hard for the regular press to deal with this. There's never been an analogous situation in the history of this country. Well, I'm sorry, I don't remember back to the days of Garfield. <laughs> the cat. But there's never been something like this, this bad that could, I mean, not this bad, well, (laughs) wherever your politics are. Well, sure. I think it's crazy.
0: But I think that Rob's answer sort of hints at that, right? Which is that maybe because there has never been anything this crazy, the market also just including, it's not just the press, maybe the market too, has just chosen to sort of ignore the possibility. I mean, if you look at you know, 538, which has been historically very good at this. They say there's a one in three shot that Trump gets elected at this point. It's even uh, higher yeah. now. Yeah, uh, th- they that's not a black from, swan event.
2: Yeah, they've gone from 80-20 to I think last night it was 60-62-38 in, in, in Nate Silver. So it really has changed. You could say this is somewhat like Brexit, where the market and a lot of the economists just didn't think there was any chance that they would vote to leave. And uh, there was huge disruption right after. And then, you know, a week later, it was it became a non-event. But near-term disruption, for sure.
1: Yeah, I just don't see it as, as like Brexit because I think – I don't know. I am pretty much optimistic all the time. And if you had told me that Obama would have been elected when I was a kid, I would have said there was a chance. And so I'm hopeful – you know, so I just can't believe that this country is going to come together to make that decision. I just – I just can't accept it.
0: Andy, one more question for you. I mean, my, my job is to break news here, so I'm hoping to get a scoop from you here, maybe some breaking news from you. You've, you're, you've, you've sort of developed a reputation for calling out comedians that are a little too smug about their success or maybe just not that funny. Who's someone that's, and you mentioned Jimmy Fallon earlier, but I've heard you talk about Jimmy Fallon before. Who's someone that's recently annoyed you? Maybe someone that'll show up in your Just for Laughs Recently
2: know, annoyed me. Next year. Um... So you can't go with Whoopi, you can't go, can't with, go with Whoopi. Usual. No Jay no Ricky Gervais. No Ricky Gervais. Uh, I
1: guess, and this just, this might actually hurt Rob's feelings. I don't get this whole karaoke in cars phenomenon. I just... I uh, love that. Uh, I love Gordon. It. I,
2: I don't he's get fantastic.
1: it. I don't. The whole idea where in a talk show you bring out all the guests for the, for the year and you have them talk to each other. I don't know. I don't. Maybe maybe I don't understand what the kids the kids today they love to
2: watch someone else do karaoke. No, you can't do anything negative against James Corden. The guy yeah.
0: Look. The so so my take on on that is that James Corden is really good at it. So it's just like let's watch James Corden sing. I don't. Right. like Who cares? Who's in the other seat? You know. It's like oh, yeah, all right. James Corden's better than everybody else. All the professionals that come on. I don't know if you saw the one with Britney Spears. She literally barely sang. It's right. just James Gordon karaoke.
1: So yeah, but you are aware that there's 50 other minutes to the show where he's not doing well.
0: Uh, I'm not aware because I'm only watching the clips like a like like a millennial. I'm not right. actually sitting down at 11:30 or whenever that show airs. 12:30. 12:30. I'm up. Well, I'm up.
1: It's hard though because you know, like I I did this joke that's, that's making making the rounds again today, which was my impression of uh, Jimmy Fallon interviewing st- uh, Stalin. Stalin, so great, so great. Big fan, Stalin. Stalin. I heard you killed thirty million people. That's crazy. Would you like to play charades?
0: <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. I mean, so, you're right. That, that's that's a little too go- close to home after what <laughs> happened with Donald Trump. It's
1: not. That's hard. It's hard to go away from him being the new villain, Jimmy Fallon, because if he's uh, he's fake, la- he fake laughed at Trump doing some weak joke about eating McDonald's. So it's hard to look past that to anything else to criticize. But um, I have to think about it further.
0: This is. I'm not defending Jimmy Fallon here, but but the the Stalin comparison does break down a little bit because Stalin didn't have a show on NBC that ran for like ten years and probably had a pre existing relationship. Ah,
1: but here's where you're wrong. If Lorne Michaels had been around, he would have. If Saturday Night Live had been around, you bet Stalin, Stalin would have been it. on, right? Because I Trump he been hosting. It. That's yeah. right, and then and then uh, uh, they would have made an announcement. Hitler can't host this week because of bunker issues. <laughs>
0: I would have liked to have heard Don Pardo uh, introduce Stalin.
1: Adolf <laughs> uh, Hitler,
0: <laughs> Joseph Stalin,
1: right. musical guest Goebbels. Uh, Maybe Don Pardo wanted to pass away before. That's Donald right. Trump. I'll give him the benefit of the he doubt. He had to say that.
0: All right, I'm going to end this with uh, uh, a question for both of you. Are you James Lipton? I'm James Lipton here, and and this will be as hard hitting as a James Lipton question. This is going to be a contest between the two of you. You each get a chance to tell one joke to
2: see who is funnier. Oh my god! <laughs> that that's that is not good. That is not good. Give me an actual joke, like a, like a Tell real me a joke, joke, a real joke, a real joke. You like must what? know a joke. Like a joke that you. Wait, what like, kind of joke? Like a,
0: oh, like a regular joke? anything. Sure, anything is. Wh- wh- I will leave that up to you. Because I'll like, tell a regular joke. Okay,
1: and yes, I'll give okay. Because
2: okay, I'm not going to do one.
1: I'll give Rob time to think. This is right. not my joke. If I was going to go with a representative, I've already given the, several of my jokes. You but, have. Um, so these two Jew- uh, these two Jewish men are driving down the street and uh, the, and. Uh, Moisha says, oh, Irving, look at that uh, sign on that church. It says, uh, we pay for converts, $50. We pay for converts. Irving, go in there and get the $50. Uh, then just tell them you're going to convert. So Irving goes in. Uh, he's in the church for an hour. He's in the church for two hours. After three hours, he comes out, and Moisha goes, did you get the money? And Irving goes, is that all you people ever think about?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad that's very good that
2: is a very very old joke yes a very yeah, i'm not old claiming joke. to have written it that's a little bit like this guy who's driving <laughs> uh, nice segue rob no no a guy he's driving it's in miami he's an old very old guy even older than me and you when he's like 80 years old and he's driving down the street 15 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour zone the police pull him over they license a registration and they, he, they say, Mr. Moskowitz, do you realize that your wife fell out of the car three miles ago? And Mr. Moskowitz says, oh, thank God. I thought I was going deaf. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love that
1: joke.
0: Love that joke. I, I will let uh, the audience decide which of those two jokes was better. I think you uh,
1: buried both of our careers I, with your I, last po-
0: Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> well, I, you know, at least I, I, I don't... Uh, I don't expect Morgan Stanley to fire Rob, at least based on that. I don't know if that's. Right, I, let, look, let me, let me uh, ask you this: are, are there certain executives that you've worked with that are particularly funny?
2: Not particularly. Not particularly. Not particularly. But yeah. I, I need this job. I need this job because my brother wants to keep working, and that's right. He needs the money. It's not for me. It's not for me. I've done everything I've done, being on Wall Street, sacrificing my dreams as a musician, and as a poet have all been for my brother so that he could pursue his career.
1: And And so that he could tell me every three months that I would be poor and on the streets without him.
2: You would be, you would be. (laughs) Hmm.
0: Well, all right, Andy, I'll help you. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andy Kindler. Rob, do you have a Twitter? (laughs)
1: No.
2: Yes, my Twitter is Andy Kindler at, what is it? That's it. I I don't tweet. They don't let me tweet. So
0: that's it for this week's episode. Uh, You can expect more Bloomberg reporters and M&A professionals and maybe stand-up comedians if we can get John Mulaney in here. Uh, (laughs) And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And please take a minute to rate and review the show and weigh in on Rob and Andy's jokes while you're there. (laughs) And you can also follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. I have. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, I appreciate that. Rob, you get a pass. <laughs> See you next week.